I love the commercials that come on that uh, are part of the season, that relate to the season. I don't love all the things that they pitch at us and the commercialism uh, that they bring to Christmas, but uh, just the humor that is there in, in quite a few of the commercials. Uh, I don't know if you've been following the Peloton story, um, the uh, lady riding her bike uh, you know, that her husband got her uh, because he, uh, he wanted her to ride that for a year and to be in shape, I guess. And so there was uh, lots of uh, people on social media making fun of that. And then Ryan Reynolds uh, hired her to be in a commercial for him, uh, which took it a little bit different direction. Um, that's some of the humor from the past week about some of the commercials. But there was one that I saw yesterday uh, that I was really laughing at. Uh, and if you're a cat person, uh, and I know we have some here, uh, you'll appreciate this. But I think it's a CVS commercial, and it shows uh, a woman in a kitchen getting things ready. And um, what appears to be uh, her, her husband, um, she, she is uh, directing him, telling him uh, they're getting ready for their guests. And, and she's giving him food to take out to the dining room. And uh, there's a lot of preparation things that are, uh, that are going on. And as the guy walks past the restroom on the way to the dining room, he sees the cat that is uh, taking all the toilet paper off of the toilet paper holder in the bathroom, just, you know, making a huge mess. Uh, and then going into the next room, he sees his children chasing a dog that has lights all over it. Uh, Christmas lights running into the next room, which makes the tree fall down, makes him drop the food, and uh, everyone begins to... Uh, Ray, would you fix that camera? I'm just kidding. I'll do it. <laughs> I forgot to turn it off. Uh, anyway, it really made me laugh, and uh, I, I uh, was thinking they were not ready for their guest at all. And... Uh, that's uh, kind of the whole point of it is the hustle and bustle of Christmas. And if you'll just go to CVS, they're going to help you be prepared uh, for whatever it is that comes your way. But I was thinking about our sermon today and our word, preparation. And uh, preparation is something that uh, sometimes stresses us out, just hearing that word. And we begin to think about uh, all the things that we have to do to prepare for work tomorrow all the things we have to do to prepare for uh, the holiday season, all the, just all the things that come into our minds when we hear that word, preparation. But it also reminded me of our scripture reading this morning, uh, especially this last one from the Gospel of Matthew, where we hear about someone who was coming to help the world prepare for the arrival of Christ in the world. And so if you'll look with me again at Matthew chapter 3, Matthew's easy to find. You don't need my directions uh, for that. If you don't have your Bible, there's one on the pew rack in front of you. And we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew as we continue on. We looked at it last week, and we're going to look at it uh, each Sunday of Advent. And considering what Matthew describes for us when it comes to uh, this story about God sending Jesus into this world. And these words, much like the words we heard from Isaiah this morning, are helpful for us to put all this into context, that we can understand what it means, not only that there is hope, which was our word last week, but also that there is peace. But peace comes with preparation. And that is what we hear this morning in this. There are several things John does for us and the ways that, that John helps us to be 
prepared. And the first one of those is that we would clear the arrival path. If we indeed have guests, a guest that is coming to us, that is coming into our world, there is uh, this step that we need to take to make sure the path is ready. And that's what John uh, is doing. In fact, Matthew tells us, he quotes from Isaiah, he says, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. And this was John's role. John was the Elijah. John was the forerunner of Christ. And I would have loved to have hung out with John the Baptist. I'm not sure he went by John the Baptist, but I would have loved to have just been out there with him. I wouldn't want to eat the locusts. I would not have wanted to uh, uh, you know, be out in the, the rugged wilderness for too long. But can you imagine just for a little bit, just spending a little time with this guy? I mean, there's a reason he was in the wilderness. I mean, well, there were several reasons. One, this was God's mission for him to be out there. But he probably didn't mix too well in the society in Jerusalem or in other places. I'm sure he offended his family members. I'm sure he ticked everybody off at Thanksgiving, you know, sitting around. The, they didn't have Thanksgiving, but if they did, sitting around the Thanksgiving table, and as they would be there, John, you know, somebody would bring something up. He, he definitely would have been the Debbie Downer of the table, right? Somebody would have expressed something, you know, great that was going on in, in their world, and, and he would have said, yeah, but did you know this is going on? You know, all the doom and all the stuff that goes on in the world. John was in tune with that. John was very upset about what God was showing him about the world, about the injustice, about the problems, about their captivity and all the things that was all the things that were going on uh, as a result of what Rome was doing in their world, in their nation, and how they had been conquered. And so John is also upset about his own people and the people of his own religion. And he is criticizing what he is seeing from within. And this, this, as we know, as we continue in the life of John, we see this gets him in a lot of trouble. In fact, he gets his head cut off as a result of what he's doing with his mouth. Because he is being the voice of God to the people around him. He is speaking truth to power. Amen. And he pays dearly for that with his life. But this is what God had called him to do. He is clearing the path. He is working in all the problems of his society to help unravel some of the things that are going on, even if it's just calling them out for what they are. And so he prepares the way. At our farm, we have uh, two roads. And the reason we have two roads is that one road uh, proved to be disastrous for anyone that was coming down. It's a dirt road, and you have to go uh, probably half a mile just to get to, to our house. And, and to be able to get to it, um, there in the rainy season, uh, it gets very muddy. And even though the road is hard packed, and uh, we, we've been driving over it for years and years and years, it is still treacherous when it gets wet. We have a, um, a live spring out there. A natural spring, and so when it rains, that puts out even even more water, and it just really gets bad. Uh, I've been stuck out there more than once, but I'm not going to tell tell you how many times Jenny has been stuck. 
And uh, thus, the reason I have a Jeep so that I can pull everybody out when they come and get stuck. But I finally got so tired of it, I said, this isn't going to work any longer. We, we have had uh, too many cars get stuck out here. Uh, and so I made a road on my own. And I did this uh, just by clearing out some trees. I had to uh, cut down some trees that were in the way. I had to uh, figure out which way I wanted the road to go, and it's not the most direct route, but it avoids all of the boggy spots on our property and enables someone, if they want to arrive, then they can get there without any trouble at all because of this new road. As John was looking at his world, he saw the disaster that was taking place. He saw that this was not a good way for God to arrive in the world. And he saw that his mission was to make a brand new way. To to clear the path so that God could come into the world. To make ready the world for Christ's entrance and the kingdom of God that would be coming into the world through Christ. If we are going to prepare for the arrival of Christ in our world, then we need to clear the path. And I wonder as we look at our world, what are the things that get in the way of God's arrival, God's full arrival, the uh, full arrival of the kingdom of God in our world. We've heard words like justice and mercy and righteousness and all of these things that Isaiah gives to us. These are powerful words. And what is getting in the way of those things happening in our world? Well, there was a huge mess that that John had to deal with. Isaiah saw it in his time. He foresaw it in John's time. And it is still around with us today. It is the mess that that our world is in. And in what ways are, are we clearing the paths? In what ways are we getting rid of some of that mess? It's one thing for the church of today to point its finger and say, that's a big mess right there. And for us to come every Sunday and say, Amen, yeah, that's a big mess. It's a big mess that our world has gotten into. It's another thing for us to see that we're to get in the midst of the mess and to start cleaning that mess up. I heard about a store uh, this past week that hired someone to untangle Christmas lights. Wouldn't that be a great job? Someone who could just... And Jack is this way. My Jack. Uh, whenever we go fishing, I'm the one that gets the, the line tangled up. Doesn't matter how many you know, times I, I try to do it right, I get it tangled up. Jack has the patience and the ability to unravel whatever junk is on the, uh, uh, the, the fishing rod. He's able to get through it all where it would take me days. I would literally just go crazy trying to do it. He can just go right through it and figure it all out and it's smooth and nice. He untangles it. You know, the world needs people who can untangle the mess of the world. Amen. John was doing that in a, in a way. He was, he was calling it out, but he was calling people, the people that were coming out to, to be baptized, the people that were coming out to hear this madman in the wilderness. He was saying to them, our world is in a big mess, and God has called me, and He's called you, Israel, to do something about it. To untangle the mess so that Christ might, uh, might come and, and make room in this world for the things that God wants to happen here. 
And so in what ways do we need to clear the clutter in our world, but also in our lives? And that may be the very first place to begin. What clutter is there in your life? What impediments, what obstacles are there that need to be untangled and removed so that God can make full arrival in your life? We all have things that get in the way in our own lives, don't we? Advent is a way for us to recognize those just like Lent. It's a time for us to to look at our lives and and consider what is there, what, what kind of things are blocking God's work in my life. And then to do something about those things. But John says we're here to clear the way, but he also says that we ought to ready the, the display that we have for God coming in our world. God is the guest. God is arriving in our world in this Christ child. And there is something to be shown uh, for that Christ child. Just like we see people bringing gifts uh, magi bringing gifts to the child. Uh, there, there is something there to, to show uh, as God comes into our world. John told the Pharisees and Sadducees, he calls them out. You are a brood of vipers. Now, if, if I did that as you walked in the chapel today, if I said, come on in, you brood of vipers, you terrible people, I know what you're up to. You would just, you wouldn't even, you'd come hit me in the nose. Or you would just walk out grab a donut and walk out and you probably wouldn't come back. Although I have met a few people who like to be yelled at. Um, but, but you probably would be a, a little upset at that. John calls them out and it says they were coming to be baptized. And I think the preposition is messed up here. The better way is they, they, were, they were coming against what John was doing out there. They weren't coming to be baptized by John. They were coming against it. And they were, they were not happy with what John was doing. John was challenging the work of the priests in the temple. If John was telling people they could be forgiven, if John was telling them that what they really needed to do would happen in the Jordan River, not back at the temple, he was creating some real problems for them. They were not happy with him. And this is what's going on here in this particular text. And so John is readying the display. He's saying to them, just like with a tree that has fruit, if, if, if uh, the gardener comes in and recognizes the tree doesn't have fruit, over time he's going to cut the tree down, right? It's not bearing fruit. But if the tree that's bearing fruit is bearing fruit, I mean, if it's there, it's visible, then uh, it's, it's blessed, right? It's, it's doing what it is created to do. And John says, look, the axe is already at the tree. You're going to be judged. He's saying to the people in his own religion, you're going to be judged because you were called to be the light of the world. You were called to bring justice where there's injustice. You were called to free people who were oppressed. You were called to be God's blessing to the world. And so he says, are you doing it? You need to ready the display. In First Things First, a book by Roger Merrill, uh, he tells of a business consultant who decided to landscape the grounds uh, of his property. And so he hires a woman who has a doctorate in, in horticulture who, has extremely, uh, who is extremely knowledgeable. But because the business consultant was very busy and traveled a lot, he kept emphasizing to her, look, 
I can't be here all the time. And I want you to create this garden in a way that would require very little or, or no maintenance at all. I want it to look good, but I don't want to spend much time trying to maintain it. And so he insisted on automatic sprinklers and, and other uh, labor-saving devices so that he wouldn't have to do this. And finally, she stopped him and she said, there's one thing you need to deal with before we go any further. If there's no gardener, there's no garden. There are no labor-saving devices for growing a garden of spiritual virtue, Merrill says. If we are going to become spiritual people with fruit and to be the, uh, the kind that bears the kind of fruit that this world needs, it's going to require time, attention, and care. And I think that's what John's getting at here. Israel had, had just said, look, we don't want to do all the work. The religious elites were saying, we've got it all together. And it was all on the outside. They were making things look good on the outside. But there was no vitality, no life that was inside of them. And so John says, you better cultivate it. Because if you don't, you're just going to get cut down. Terrible things are going to happen. In our world, if you don't bear fruit, and if we are going to prepare for Christ's arrival in our world, we need to ready the display. We need to inspect it. And as you think about the church of today, as you think about who the church is in our community and in our world, what do we see? Do we see that it's bearing the fruit that needs to be born in our world? What about for us as individuals? Are we bearing the kind of fruit that we need to bear? It's easy for us to kind of go on autopilot, right? We could be like the guy who just wants to, to have someone else do the work. But God's called you to do that. God's called you to tend your own life. You can't expect someone else to do it. Somebody else may try to do it, but it doesn't work that way. You need to tend your own soul. You need to make sure that you're cultivating the life of God that is inside of you. And so it's not only about inspection, it's about cultivation. It's about doing. And that's where the real fruit comes in, when we do what God has given us to do. And that is what we need to look at when we look at the church. Is the church bearing fruit? Or is the church just there? Is it just there to exist for itself? Or is there something good coming out of it? Is it benefiting the community? Is it benefiting the world? Does it have a display? Well, finally, John calls them to make necessary changes. He, he uses that word repentance. He says, turn. Turn from your sins. Turn from all the things that are keeping you from being who God has called you to be. And they were to turn completely around. They had an agenda, but it wasn't God's agenda. This is what gets Jesus in trouble. When Jesus follows after John, He picks up and takes it up another notch, doesn't He? And He begins to criticize uh, all the religious stuff that's going on around Him to say, um, you guys better turn from this. You're, you're headed down a pathway that is one that is full of anger and vengeance. It's one of indifference to the people that God really cares about. And, and you have the wrong agenda. And you need to turn and go the other way. John said, 
Come and be baptized in this river to show, to make a visible sign to you and to the world and everybody else that's gathered out here in the wilderness and mainly to God that you're willing to turn to say goodbye to all those things, to let them wash away from you and to step into a brand new life that looks like what God wants it to look like. Repentance. I don't know how many of you, while we're on this football theme, how many of you are fans of the Mannings? I mean, it's hard not to be fans of them. Uh, There was an article written about them uh, that's titled, Coach Cut uh, and the Deconstruction of Peyton and Eli. And of course, we know Peyton uh, retired with the best quarterback stats in the history of the NFL. His younger brother, Eli, uh, also uh, very much, uh, of course, you know, it, it It's questionable each season, but uh, an elite NFL quarterback. Yet both brothers, as much success as they've had, they quietly spent most of their off-seasons going back to an old coach, Coach Cut, uh, to, to allow him to deconstruct them to pull apart their methods and, 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 and the way that they were playing the game and to get them back to the basics. This coach cut, uh, whose name is, real name is Dave Cut, Cutliffe, uh, was Peyton's quarterback coach at the University of Tennessee, uh, and they stayed in touch. They stayed close together. Uh, and he says, he's always been my coach, Peyton says. Uh, when Coach Cut started coaching uh, for Ole Miss, Eli took notice and began to, he went, he decided to go there and to get under that coach's instruction. And so Peyton, uh, when he was uh, released back in uh, 2012 because of his serious neck injury, uh, he decided to go back to Coach Cut. And after watching tapes of Peyton's throwing sessions, Coach Cut told him, uh, your mechanics are all wrong, Peyton. You're going to blow out your arm. And Cutcliffe then spent the next two years reconstructing Peyton uh, and going through and showing him, getting him back to the basics. Uh, and Eli also had a rough season, or he's had a few rough seasons, and he keeps going back as well to get back to the basics. And in this article, uh, the, the author says, why would these two premier athletes allow their old coach to tear apart their technique and to reconstruct their game? He says, because both Peyton and Eli know that a return to the basics isn't a sign of failure. It's actually the path to true success. As I think about our lives spiritually, as I think about the church as it exists today in our world, there's some things that we need to deconstruct, don't we? There are some things that we do that need to be changed. There's some things that we need to turn from. Some some habits that we've picked up throughout the years throughout the seasons of our lives that that need to to go away. And we need to get back to what God has said is really the most important thing. That God says, this is the way you ought to do it. And He gives us Jesus, right? That we can look at Jesus and say, ah, that's how I'm supposed to live. All these other things are things I made up as I went along. Maybe they worked a little bit, but then they failed in the end. And, And maybe they were destroying us. And so we need to do that in our lives. We need to turn, repent, and embrace the things that God has given us to do. As a church, what does that look like today? What does the church of today need to turn from? What agendas has the church picked up 
that are really not the agenda of God. And then what about for us as individuals? You know, Advent is a time for true change in our lives. What do you and I need to turn from? In what ways do we need to walk into the baptismal waters? And if, by the way, if you've never been baptized, what a great time of the year at Advent to be baptized, to say, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to, I'm going to have a, a watershed moment in my life where I'm going to say to myself, to the people who are gathered around me, and to God, that I am going to live the baptized life. I'm going to say goodbye to that part of me that is not of God and to embrace that part that God has given me to live, this brand new life. Repentance. Well, the commercials I've watched have been funny, but there, there was one that, that really stood out to me this week, and, and I, I'm not a fan of Hobby Lobby at all. For, a, for about a hundred reasons, I'm not a fan of Hobby Lobby. And, and, and as I saw the tagline at the end of the commercial, I thought, well, at least they made a good commercial. But it's about uh, a, a, a boy who is getting, uh, putting up ornaments on the tree. It looked like he's a, a teenager, young teenager. And his mom uh, has been working, it looks like, and, and, and she's been working late hours or something. And she comes home, she walks in the front door, and she sees her son there who has put together this most beautiful Christmas tree. And the house is decorated, looks so nice. And her jaw just drops, right? That he's done all of this knowing that she couldn't do it. And he did it for her. What a great thing uh, to come home to, right? What a great way to arrive at home totally prepared for you. God wants us to recognize the arrival of Christ in our world and that we're to do all that we can to prepare for that moment, for that time. Let us go to God in prayer.